Well, as we, um, as we step in this morning, um, I want to just take some time to talk around an idea that um, this really is the beginning of a conversation. Um, and what I mean by that is that this is something that we're going to be continuing to discover and talk through uh, throughout this year. And what does this look like for us as a church to, to lean into this uh, a little bit more? As a, as a church, uh, as Crossroads, we exist to make much of Jesus. You hear us say that all the time, that we're, we're pointing to the truth that transforms everything in him, that he has come, he offers life, he is the king over all creation. We're going to look at that within Colossians and see just how majestic he really is. But that is our aim, that when you walk through our doors in any capacity, you are going to encounter Jesus in some way, shape, or form. We're going to make much of him. And we do this by following in the way of Jesus. That means that we're going to pattern our lives after him. That we're all going to seek to have our, our, our pathway, our footsteps walk in line with the way in which Jesus walked. That we look more and more like him as we pursue him together. And we do this also by making disciples. That that whole call that Jesus said, go into the world and make disciples, uh, teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you, that's not something that's just for uh, those who work at a church. That's for everyone who is a follower of Jesus. That we are all called to make disciples that love God and that love others. And so as we step into this year, uh, one of the things that we want to raise the temperature on and what, what really feels like God's asking us in this space, in our community, at this point in history, is that we really start to discover what does that mean to love one another? What does that mean to love others well? Our women's Bible study did an incredible study this last fall of what does it mean to one another, one another well, you know, just looking at all the one another's of scripture. And we're going to carry forward with this idea, what does that look like for us to love well? Because we live in a time and a space and a place where everything is being pitted against one another. The division is running rampant and we have the opportunity as a church community, as followers of Jesus, to display something that is vastly different than the world that we see around us. But that, that's not a small task. And so what does it look like for us to resolve to, to love? To be resolute in our love towards one another. To be purposeful. To be determined. To be unwavering. Now, when we start talking about love, sometimes it can start to feel like, oh, we just, you know, love gets defined as just kind of tolerance these days. But that's not the love that we're speaking of. So John Stott, he said it like this. He said, our love grows soft if it is not strengthened by truth, and our truth grows hard if it is not softened by love. There has to be this balance, but it has to be founded on truth. And so this morning, as we step into this conversation, I just want to take a moment to pray for us and just ask God just to reveal what he has for us. So, Father, we are so grateful. Grateful for, for your majesty Grateful for your goodness, for your kindness, for your mercy, for your love. Lord, as we gather in this space this morning, um, it's been a strange week for, for many of us in this room. But I pray in these moments we'd be able to lock into what you have for us, that you would speak to us as a, as a community, but as individuals as well, Father that you would move among us. We know you're here. We know your, your presence. We can't outrun. We also know that you have come and you've revealed yourself, that we can have relationship with you. And so, God, in this space, we just open our hands before you. 
do as you see fit in these moments. We ask for you to speak. We love you and we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. This last week, my, my family and I, um, we were over visiting some friends in, in Santa Cruz. And as we were driving back up over Highway 17, which if, if you know Highway 17, you know it's one of the most dangerous highways in all of California. There's countless accidents that happen there. And we were coming up over this rise, and we've done that drive, uh, feels like a million times before, but as we came up over this one little rise, suddenly Rachel just kind of grabbed me and said, Andrew, pull over now. And it was one of those tones where you know, like, get over it now. And so I did. I pulled over, and there was a car that had also pulled over in front of me, and I, I wasn't quite sure why I was pulling over until my eyes locked on what Rachel was looking at and what clearly the car in front of us was, was looking at. And there, pinned between three trees, was another car. This car had been driving in the same direction that we had been going and lost control and swerved, hit the guardrail, flipped up onto its side and was now suspended in these trees. So we get out of the car. I throw my phone to Rachel, say, call 911. And I run over to the car and I'm looking at it and kind of observing, trying to see, is this thing about to fall further down? Is it stable? What are we doing? I'm walking around. I see that it's stuck. So I go underneath the car uh, to see if I can see anyone on the driver's side. Airbags all deployed. You can't see anything going on inside the car. So I start, I start talking. Hello, is anyone in there? Can anyone hear me? And I start to hear a faint cry. I start to have a conversation with someone. I say, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come back around on the other side and we're going to see what we can do. By the time I got out to the other side, there was already somebody else there who had stopped and he was working to get the door open. At the same time, a tow truck just happened to be driving by. He had stopped. He's like, I've already called everyone. Everything's on their way. And we're, the three of us are just kind of looking at each other in this moment going, okay, now, now what do we do? After everything was settled, we were driving away and I was, I was kind of reflecting back at something unique that I, I found happened in this moment. Three complete strangers. Nothing held us in common. Nothing at all. Except in this moment, we saw a crisis. And what I've experienced so often in my own life is that crisis brings clarity. And you, you move, you, you move towards it or you, you try and figure out how you can help in this moment. But, but what struck me in this moment is that as, as each of us moved towards that car, not sure of what wreckage, what chaos was, was there inside, we didn't ask a bunch of questions. And what I mean by that, it was, it was when I got under that car and I, I began asking if anyone was okay, my first question was, hey, what political party do you ascribe to? <laughs> Republican, Democrat, give me something, you know. I, I, didn't, I didn't ask, hey, what's your thought on, uh, what's your thought on vaccinations? How you feel about masks? What's going on? You know, that, that wasn't what I led with, right? I was like, are you okay? Is anyone in there? Can anyone hear me? Same thing with these two other strangers that showed up. There wasn't qualifications that they were suddenly ticking through going, if, if they meet this criteria, then I'm going to help in this moment. No, we just all jumped in and thought, okay, what can we do in this moment? See, Jesus sat around with his disciples on the night that he was betrayed. As he was speaking to them, as he was walking them through uh, these words that held so much power, what did he say in, in John 13, 34? He said, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. 
you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Just, just listen to that part in 35. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. By this, the this being love for one another, people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. We are to be known by our love for one another. As Jesus was speaking in this moment, he was speaking to the disciples and he's saying, what you have here, you are to be known for your fierce love for each other. That as my disciples, that you care for one another, you come alongside one another, that you are for one another. And people will see this and they will know that you bear resemblance to me, that you are a follower of me for the way in which you love. Now, love is an interesting word because it carries with it an assortment of definitions that, that people like to ascribe to it. And often love is more seen as a, this idea of tolerance, like anything goes and that means I love you. But, but we see in the life of Jesus, there's something different. There's a call within his love to something greater. But my question is, is when people ask about the church and what it's known for, is love the answer that they give back? If you were to take a poll and ask people, what do you think the church is about? Would love be the first thing that they recognize within us? See, Barna did a study and he said that 74% of, of U.S. adults responded to the survey and they said that they saw the church as an institution that offers hope. And I thought, that's pretty good. I'll take that because the church doesn't get a lot of good press these days if you're paying attention at all. So I'm like, okay, uh, three out of four adults essentially are saying we see this as a place uh, that offers hope. It's an institution of hope. But, but tracing that out a little bit, 44% of that same group also said that the church is known more for what they're against than what they're for. And that roughly one in three adults say that the church is judgmental. It's irrelevant, and it's hypocritical. Now, those three words there, judgmental, irrelevant, hypocritical, those can all be things that we try to chase after and remedy, but really, if we go back to what did Jesus call us to do and be known for, is that we'd be known for our love for one another. Love did not even make any of the categories in the, the survey that people were, were giving responses to. That wasn't something that the church was known for. It's not even mentioned. And so this morning, I want us to start this conversation of what would it look like for us to be a place that is making much of Jesus, but we are also known as a place that loves one another well. That we're defined as disciples of him because they see the way that we treat one another and that this love and the way we treat one another, it just starts to spill over into our community. What would that start to look like? And I'm going to be real honest at the offset of this. I don't have all the answers to this. Actually, I'm pretty confident that I have just a few answers to this, but the answers are going to come from everybody within this room. As we explore this idea together, as we talk around, what does that mean for us to show up into our community as beacons of love for God? What does that look like? What I'm counting on is that the same Holy Spirit that resides in me resides in you. He's going to begin to speaking to you, 
saying, I have you placed in this certain place so that you can start to show up like this and you can start to show up here. And then we're going to start talking about it and we're going to go, how do we help? How do we come around each other and how do we foster this so that more and more can experience the love of God? But this morning, what I want to do is I just want to walk through a passage of Scripture that I think helps lays out kind of a, a trajectory for us, a, a space to start. Why, why should we love one another? Well, we have to first start with uh, the love that God has poured out for us. And so if you have a Bible, you can turn with me to 1 John chapter 4. We're going to be looking at verses 7 through 21. If you don't have a Bible, we've got some in the seat right in front of you. You can pull that out. You can follow along on your device or whatever you've got. But I encourage you to to be there with us. 1 John 4, 7 and 8. It's hard for me every time I say 1 John 4, 7 and 8. I'd want to start singing. Anybody else want to start singing? Last service, I started singing and everyone just looked at me like, "I I don't know what he's talking about felt very alone. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. This letter is being written by the beloved disciple John. The Apostle John was one of the 12 who walked with Jesus, was alongside him. And in his own gospel account, he refers to himself as the beloved disciple. Beloved, this term that means dear one or cherished one. This is a title that John took on for himself because that's how Jesus made him feel. There's something profound in that, that, that John experienced something so deep alongside Jesus that he felt as though he was cherished, that he was the beloved one of our Lord. And so John adopts this language and he refers to those he's writing to as beloved, dear ones. And in turn, as we're reading this, you can hear this for yourself, that he's saying to you, beloved, dear ones, let us love one another. For love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. This concept of love, agape love for John is so important. As a matter of fact, in this little stretch that we're looking at, he uses the word love 27 times. He's trying to make a point, and he's hoping that we're we're listening. Let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. What he's saying is that when we We love. We're doing what we've been designed to do. That when we love, we're showing resemblance to our creator, our heavenly father. When we love as he loves, people see him in us. It's like when you see a kid next to their parent and you can see their traits and attributes. Like, oh, I I see that. That's the hope here, that we love in such a way that people go, oh, yeah, I I see who you're connected to. You're loving as God has loved. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. And anyone who does not love does not know God. It's a pretty hefty statement right there. That anyone who does not love does not know God. Because what John is saying is to know God is to know love. And to know God and to know his love is to experience his love as the beloved, as the dear one, as the cherished one. And that shapes you and that shifts you. And that love is not to be contained within you. It's so great that it should come and pour out of you. 
But anyone who does not love just does not know God. See, John had not forgotten the the commandment that Jesus had given him. He wasn't trying to take the easy road, so to speak. He was trying to love as he had been loved. And if you have no love, he's saying, well, then I'm not even sure you know God. If love is not there in your heart, and so I'd encourage you, if, if you feel like your love for others is waning, like you find it harder and harder. I see some of you making eyes at people. Like, yeah, it is. You make it really hard. Right? But if you're, if you're noticing that, that your heart seems to be hardening instead of softening, I'd encourage you, pay attention to what God is speaking to you within that. Because he finishes by saying, anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. Now, this is important. God is love. See the order there? God is love. Love is not God. God is love. In our society, in our culture, sometimes we make love the God that we will serve and we will chase after and we chase after lesser versions of love. But here, what John is saying is, no, 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 love is not defined by you. No, love is defined by God because God is love. Love is just a part of who he is. He cannot not love. So God is love. Verse 9, in this, the love of God was made manifest. It was shown among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. So how is love seen? How is the love of God seen? How is it shown to us? Well, he sent his his only son into the world that we might live through him. God loved us so much that he sent his son that we might know him, experience him, but more than that, be, be able to overcome this barrier, this rift that was between us and God that he could conquer our our sin that he would nail our sin to the cross on which he died, and in him we have life. And so love is seen through God's actions towards us, most clearly through the sending of Jesus. Verse 10, in this is love. Again, defining what does love look like? What does it mean for us to love? And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. John is just spelling this out. Beloved, you're to love one another. Now, let me tell you what love looks like. And this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us, and he sent his son to be a propitiation for our sins. A propitiation, an atoning sacrifice for our sins, an appeasement of God's wrath against our sin. Jesus has come and take that on on our behalf that we might have life in him. See, this is important. If we're going to get to how do we love one another, we have to stop here. We have to pause here and allow this great truth to sink in. Because what John, the beloved disciple, is reminding us, the beloved recipients of this letter, is he's telling us that God loves you. That God loves you. He sent his son that you may have life in and through him. Now I know we're in church and we've heard that ad nauseum. God loves me. I get it. I get it. But we are ninjas when it comes to that phrase and we deflect it so well, right? We're like, I know he loves this person. I know he loves that person. We're still trying to figure out if he really loves me. 
As we step into this new year, may you know this truth that God loves you. He loves you. He loves you so much he sent his son for you. For you. Pastor and theologian Eugene Peterson passed away a while back. And one of his sons was sharing just a remembrance of his dad. And he said, you know, one of the greatest tricks my dad ever pulled off was he just always wrote about the same thing over and over again. He had one message, and he said it was the same message that he used to come into our room at night, and he would, he would come over while we were asleep, or so he thought, and he would, he would whisper these words over us. He said, God loves you. God is on your side. He is coming after you, and he is relentless. I love this. Because in the words of Eugene Peterson, I I hear the Apostle John and what he's trying to get across to us is that God loves you. He's on your side. He's coming after you and he is relentless. He is resolute in his love towards you. He's unwavering. He's coming for you. God is love. And he has shown us his love for us by sending his son Jesus as an atoning sacrifice that in him we may truly live. He gave all that all may have life in him. So this right here is what we call good news. That God loves you. He sees you. He knows you. He wants you. You are loved. You're loved. This is the good news that we can count on. This is the the good news that never changes and the good news that also changes everything. See, every year we step into a new year and I know we have all these thoughts of what's going to be different this year and, and I'm not saying that's a bad thing, but we often break those by day three, it feels like. And so many of us are coming off of 2021 and we're like, 2022 cannot be any worse. But remember, we said that about 2020. And here we are. We have no idea. I can't promise you what this year looks like. I can't assure you that it's all going to be okay. That COVID's not going to continue to be the dominant headline. That we're not going to experience the weirdness that has been. That we're not going to have freak storms and fires and all. I can't assure you of any of that. Happy New Year. But I can tell you that the good news is good news every year and every day. And it's life changing when we understand what God has done on our behalf and that in him we can truly live. And that doesn't change no matter the circumstances that come our way. This is the good news of the gospel. That in his great love, he has pursued us and made a path for us. That in him, we can live, we can turn, we can repent, change direction towards him and experience life as we were meant to alongside him. And this is what John is is reaffirming. He's saying, this is what God has done for you. This is the love that he's poured out for you. This is the love that you are to receive, so receive it. And once you receive that love, it's like a faucet that just fills your tub to overflow. And you now take that love and you start spilling that on everyone you meet. 
And so we love one another as a result of God's love for us. And we show our love for God by loving one another. And we know that we love God because we love others. Yeah. And so he starts to shift here. Now that you know this, beloved, if God so loved us, verse 11, we also ought to love one another. If God so loves us, then we also ought to love one another. That we take that love and we carry it on to those around us. For no one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. His love comes to maturity in us. It continues to grow in, in us. So if God loves us, we ought to love one another. But I, I think verse 12 is so interesting. No one has ever seen God. Now some people go, well, we've seen, you know, people saw Jesus and Jesus is divine. Yes, but no one has seen God face to face. Moses got to see the trail of God's glory go in front of him. And he said, no one's ever seen God, but if we love one another, God abides, he rests, he dwells in us, and his love is perfected in us. And what John is saying here is that when we uh, have God abiding in us and we love as he loved, the world will see God within our actions. We are living billboards to his goodness. We are open invitations for all to come and experience just who he is. I love how David Jackman says this. He says, the church is his audiovisual presentation to a dying culture. People should be able to look at Christian fellowship and see the God of love within his people. That is the goal God's love is working for. And for us to be content with anything less is to deny the gospel. If we know that God really loves us, let us allow that love to flow into and overflow from our lives. When we experience the, the radical transforming love of God, it shifts us and it allows us to love as he has loved us. And we suddenly are putting God's love on display in our actions and the way in which we live. We see this in one another when we love as we have been loved by God in a self-giving way. That's how John has been describing love. He said, you want to know what love is? Look what Jesus did. He, he gave of himself. He didn't come to be served. He served. He gave himself away to those around him and not just the people that agreed with him. That's the crazy part in the life of Jesus. He helped a Roman centurion, and, and Rome was like the epitome of all evil. He was interacting with tax collectors. You can't interact with tax collectors. Don't you know who they are? But Jesus continued to move towards people, loving them, not simply tolerating them, but calling them to a different way of life, reminding them, actually, you know what? Everyone sees you this way, but God's got something different for you, and I'm going I'm to show you what that means. That invitation is for everyone, even those that we think are far beyond reach of God. And so if our lives are to be a display of God's love and his goodness by the way in which we love one another, John then now walks through this second part and he gives us kind of five assurances of, of why we can have confidence to step out in this way. And I just want to list these five and then we'll go through these verses together and see kind of how these get highlighted. But these five are this, that we, first, we have the Holy Spirit. John's going to tell us, you have the Holy Spirit. That's a pretty big deal. And it is. We have witnesses we have people that have walked with Jesus. We have the gospel accounts that are well attested. We have witnesses that have seen the sun come for us, that we've seen God in action. This third one, we believe. We believe. 
When we make a confession of our faith, we, we step in and we now become living witnesses to what God is doing in our life. Number four is that we trust God's love. This one we're going to unpack a little bit because I think it's really important for us in our day and age. The last one is that we love one another. We know that we are abiding in God's love because we have the spirit, we have witnesses, we believe, we trust in God's love, and we love one another. So let's break these down. Verse 13 is going to speak to this idea that we have the Holy Spirit. And it's pretty obvious because it says, By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. He's letting us know, you, you have my spirit that resides in you. When you confess that Jesus is Lord, you are given the seal and the guarantee of the spirit in your life. We have access to the presence of God with us at all times. And he's equipping and empowering us. And as we go through our life, I would encourage you to be seeking his guidance, to be seeking his empowerment, to be asking that he would move in and through you. And what I mean by this is as simple as this. We're talking around what does it look like to show up where you are and love well. That's a great conversation for you to start having with the Holy Spirit. Where, where do you have me placed that you want to use me? Who's someone that you want me to engage with? Who's someone that you want me to talk with? And when he reveals that to you, don't just be like, oh, that was probably just me. No, no, no. When he reveals that to you, act out on that. I know that's scary. I know that's scary to begin practicing that, like God is really speaking to me in this moment, and now I'm going to act on that. But he has you right where he wants you. And he's got people around you that he wants to use you to speak to through your actions and through your life. And here's the thing. You, you can't do that on your own. You, you can't just try and muster up enough strength to do that. No, that's the goodness of having the Holy Spirit dwelling within you, residing within you. And he's far more powerful than you will ever be on your own. And he can do far more than you can ever ask or imagine within you. So we have the evidence of God within us. And if you're unsure of if you have that, if you're like, I, I, don't, I don't really know if, if, I'm, if I'm doing that, ask. Lord, just, just fill me with your spirit. Would you guide me? Would you lead me? Lord, you, you, you say you're with me and maybe I'm not paying attention. Would you help me? Empower me in this moment and may I know it's you as I step forward trusting that. So we have the Holy Spirit. Verse 14, we have witnesses, and this is John speaking. He says, we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. John is speaking as one who was the beloved, who walked with Jesus, who got to minister alongside Jesus. He got to hold on to Jesus. He got to lean into Jesus. He knew Jesus. That's the beauty of what we have in the gospel accounts is that they were written in a time where all the names that are thrown in there of the people that they're, they're bringing out within the gospel accounts, they were, most of them were still alive. So if someone's like, is that really true? They could go to the source and be like, did that really happen? And they could be like, yeah, it was awesome. Right? So we have the witnesses that have proclaimed the truth of just who Jesus is. In, in verse 15, it says, whoever confesses that Jesus is the son of God, God abides in him and he in God. And so this is where we step forward in trust and belief. When we confess that Jesus is the Son of God, that when we proclaim that he truly is the King, that he has died in our place, that we may have life in him and that we can live a part of his kingdom here and now. When we believe in him, he abides in us. He rests in us. Again, his spirit seals that. 
Now, verse 16. I'm going to read verse 16 through 19. And this is talking around how we can trust God's love. And there's a lot going on here, but let me just read this whole section together because I think it's helpful. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. And by this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected, made mature in love. We love because he first loved us. Now to trust someone is a significant act. But to trust that God's love is real, I think it's hard for us. Because we've been let down by human examples before. And some of us in this room have felt let down by even God's love. Like, you didn't show up for me. But there's something that happens when we begin to trust that God's love is so abundant, so unending, so lavish, that it's not going to run out, that it begins to cast out any fear that we may have. And here's what I mean by that. We live in a society that loves fear that loves to make you afraid of everything they possibly can. And sometimes the reaction of the church is to to play into that fear and also to bunker down. Like, it's a big, scary world out there. We want nothing to do with them. Don't look at them. Don't touch them. Don't go anywhere near them. And so we just pull back. We close the doors and we're like, us four, no more. We're good. But what we're called into is something vastly different. We're to be in the world, but not of the world. That means that we are signposts of the kingdom wherever we go. Meaning we are representing God's kingdom and the way his kingdom works wherever we are. And there's a lot of things in our world that we grieve. There's a lot of things that we see coming through that we go, ah. But when we respond in fear, I don't think that's our best foot forward. Because what fear is, is saying is, I don't think God can overcome that. What fear is saying is like, We have no hope. But remember who we serve and who we follow. Remember the transformation that he has done in your own life and in the lives of so many others that you've seen. Remember that he can do the impossible. But when we start to live out of fear, well, then suddenly those people that we fear become the enemy, become the other, and we can't even see the chance of restoration or redemption in them. And that's when we forget, if God's love was big enough to rescue me, if God's love was big enough to rescue you, It's big enough to rescue them. So let's not limit what he can do. Now, don't hear me saying we just go along and we get along and we show up with flowers and it's going to be wonderful. No, there's a strength that we need to have that we stand for what we believe in. But in that same way, we don't recoil from those around us because the divisions are getting wider and wider. And when we move forward in love, people don't even know how to trust that anymore because they're not even sure how to have a normal conversation with people that disagree with them. Jesus did it all the time. And he did it in a way that I look at and I marvel at. And oftentimes I will tell you, I'm like, Lord, just how do I do this? And then I remember it's not all on me. He resides within me. His spirit is with me, guiding and leading. Giving words in moments that would never be my words, but he's he's saying, no, 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 I've got you. I'm with you. Remember, you're not to do this alone. 
And so his love gives us confidence. Even verse 17 says, by this is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence by the day of judgment because as he is, so also are we in the world. We can trust his love so much that the day of judgment, yes, we're gonna step forward in an awe and a healthy fear of who God is. Why? Because Jesus himself said in Matthew 10, 28, do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. But when we confess that Jesus is Lord, we're saying, I align with you. I submit to you. I'm going to be obedient to you. And now I'm with you. I don't have to earn this because you've done everything on my behalf. And so that day of judgment, we can trust that when God looks at us, he doesn't see us through our iniquity. He looks at us through the righteousness of Jesus and what he's accomplished on our behalf so we can stand with confidence moving forward in him. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment. How many of us still have that residue within our lives? That when we, we, we misstep, we're just waiting for God to smack us. That we're always looking over our shoulder. Is, it, is, this, the right, is, this, is this the right thing? When God's saying, I'm residing with you, I'm guiding you, I have you, and my love is fierce. And his love is so big, it can handle our mistakes too. He can pick us back up, brush us off as we turn back towards him, as we repent and come back to him. He pulls us in all the further. So we're not called to bunker down. We're not going to hide in the hills. We're going to move forward in faith, not fear, living as signposts of the kingdom, living as open invitations to God's work always being ready to give an answer for the hope that we have in him. Verse 20 says, if, if anyone says I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have for him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Reading through that, it, it's, it's hard every time. Because there's not like a lot of wiggle room there. Right? We would like a little bit more. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's, he's a liar. There's not, there's not love in your heart. And, and we read this and we're like, well, I don't, I don't hate them. I greatly dislike them, but I don't hate them, so I think I'm okay. Right? And let's be honest, there's people that just get under our skin that push and prod us that bring out the absolute worst in us. And a lot of those people are right here, right? Like it's not out there, it's within the church. We have that. We have people that drive us crazy. Like how do we do this? And what God is doing is he's shaping and he's forming us and he's showing us that I came for everybody. And even in this moment, I have something for you to learn and what it really means to live with a self-giving love, to step in and to lean in. And to work that out within this community. Because if we can't work it out within this community, we're never going to take it outside this community. So if anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. This is the, the new commandment that Jesus gave to his disciples that he passes on to us. And by our love for one another, uh, we will be known as his disciples. 
And so John is making it very clear in this moment. If you love God, then you must also love your brothers and your sisters and those around you. For a new commandment I give to you that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. And by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So where do we begin with this? I think that's always the question. I don't know. We'll see you next week. Um, (laughs) If you've got thoughts, no. Where do we begin? Honestly, when I, when I was, when I was thinking through this and I knew I was looking at this chunk of scripture, I just, I immediately jumped to, I think the place we need to begin is, is repentance. Honestly, to repent. It's amazing how quickly anger and frustration and hatred towards another can just work its way into our heart and take hold. And it hardens our heart. It doesn't soften it. It just gets colder and colder until we can't even see the possibility of the people in front of us. So my encouragement for for each of us is is simply that, to, to repent of where we've grown cold towards our brothers and sisters. To repent of the time that we spoke evil of someone when they were not in the room and and we knew that we could just get the conversation just so. And if I say this prayer request just right, I can let everybody know how much I dislike this person. We repent of where we've wished ill of someone or where we've celebrated somebody else's failures. We repent of the moments where we've just obliterated someone in our mind as we looked at them square in the face and just kind of smiled and nod. They had no idea what we were thinking, but it was there. We repent of being unwilling to even move towards someone else. And how many of us got there? It's like, it's just not even worth the effort anymore. I'm, I'm tapped out. But I'd encourage you, and I just want to take 30 seconds to start this conversation right now. And we're just going to do 30 seconds, just quiet, for you just to come before the Lord. Allow him to seek, seek your heart, search your heart. And whatever pops forward, I just encourage you to bring before him, yeah, would you change my heart to be more like yours? Would you change me to love as you have loved me? So let's just take a few moments just to, to repent before him now. Father, we repent of the ways in which we've limited your love or the ways in which we've sought to limit your love. Would you help us move towards one another with the love that we have received from you? God, would you strengthen us in those areas that we need your strength? Would you empower us to live this out far beyond our capacity. And Lord, as we repent, we trust that your forgiveness 
is real. So Lord, be with us. And in our failures, God, would you take the brokenness and begin to mend into something beautiful. We thank you for who you are in our lives. We love you and we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. If there's more work to be done there, I'd encourage you to take time to come back to that. If there's, there's some of the, the hard work of just not even just repenting to the Lord, but maybe you need to repent to somebody and there's some damage within a relationship that you need to make the first move towards, as scary as that is, I'd encourage you to pay attention to that, to lean into that. Trust what God is speaking to you within that. But having repented, the second thing that I want to encourage you to do is, is to receive to receive his love, to trust that his forgiveness is real, that freedom in him is truly to be free. Allow him to fill up your tub and overflow with his love because there's an abundance and it does not run out. All the excuses that come to our minds of why he shouldn't love us, put those aside and recognize That in this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. He has come for you. God loves you. He's on your side. He's come for you and he is relentless. And if you've never accepted the truth of that, if you've never turned towards him and received who he is, then I would encourage you, as verse 15 says, confess that whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he and God confess Jesus is Lord. You can do that right here and now and begin to pursue life alongside him as he works in and through you, experiencing the freedom that comes from knowing Jesus. So let us receive that love that he is for you. And finally, we repent, we receive, we resolve. Resolve to love with a resolute love. Why? Because we love because he first loved us. He placed the pattern before us. With the love that we have received from him, we now get to love others with. So love fully, love fiercely, and love forward, moving towards those around you, not shrinking back. And this week, I challenge you to practice loving one another. Put your mind towards, okay, who is that going to be? Even right now, God's probably revealing someone to you that you're like, oh, not them. Yeah, it's them. That's who you get to love this week, okay? But take a step towards someone. Maybe it's a note that you've been meaning to write just to encourage somebody. Maybe it's, it, there's something at work that no one wants to do and you're like, you know, I'm just going to do it, but you're not going to do it with big fanfare of like, I've got you, everybody. No, you're just going to do it and just show your coworkers love by taking care of it. I, I don't know what that might be for you, but I encourage you to, to lean into that and, and not to point out to, your, to, to others how great you are, but just to have that be a conversation between you and the Lord. I thank you for allowing me to participate in this. And sometimes, you know what? It is incredibly thankless to give love towards others. You don't always get something back. When we were coming home, Ryan 
and, and Kristen, they, they're boys. They, they all cleared out our, our shovel, or shoveled the snow in our, our driveway. They're not getting that back from us. I'm never shoveling the snow in their driveway. Right? He just, he just so kindly did that. No. no, but if there's a way that you can show up for someone, do it. Press in, lean in, practice this. Bless someone. Someone who's not expecting it and with no, no expectation of anything in return. See, as me and three strangers opened that car door and two people climbed out of this car unscathed, right? I mean, it was like hanging. Like, first guy got out and he's just shaking. He walked over to the edge and he realized if that had gone any further, they would not be walking anywhere. They got out of that car and uh, going through the motions and the, the guy who had got the door open in the first place, he just jumped back in the car with his family and drove off. The tow truck driver was getting everything squared away. The firemen showed up and I just waited until they got there. And the guy was just looking at me as the girl he was with was just sobbing because I think it was just hitting her of like, this, this could have gone so much differently. And he was just looking for words of anything to say and he couldn't, he couldn't even put a sentence and I just grabbed him by the shoulders and I said, you're alive. And you're okay. And he's, fireman comes, takes him away. We get in the car and we just drive away. And I'm just replaying this moment in my head. Because what brought us together in that moment was a move towards the crisis. And all I could think of was that one was really obvious. But as we're moving around through our daily lives, how many people are experiencing wreckage and collisions in their own lives that we have no idea? You have no idea what the person next to you is carrying with them. And you may be the person that God is going to use to show up and just put your arms around them and be like, I'm with you. I see you. You're going to be the conduit of God's love moving in and through you to speak hope into that person's life. But too often we are so busy and consumed with our own stuff that we are just missing people all the time. But imagine if we as a community, instead of waiting for other people to step in and love on our community well, we, we took on that mantle and said, we're going to do that. We're going to be the ones that show up. We're going to be the ones that lean in and step in. We're going to be the ones that when God gives us a vision of something, we're going to trust it and we're going to move forward with it. Imagine if we took the love that we have received from God and we begin just allowing that to spill over. No questions asked, just moving towards people with the truth that this good news is still good news and can transform any life. And I can say that because it's transformed mine. And I can say that because I've talked to many of you in here who have experienced the same transformation. Talking with someone after service who's experienced the same transformation. The good news never changes, and yet it changes everything. So may we be open invitations to God's kingdom. The love that we have received from God cannot be contained in this room. And as Jesus said, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So may we love one another well. And may we love with the same resolute love that God has loved us with. You pray with me.
Father, I'm just so grateful for the way in which you meet us, the ways in which you get our attention and remind us that you are with us. Father, those places that we need to let go of and repent of, the bitterness that has creeped into our hearts, God, would you do a work that only you can do? Father, would you just continue to remind us of this, this love that you have showered upon us? And we don't deserve this grace, this mercy, this unmerited favor that we have received. Lord, would you give us a spirit to love those around us well in your truth, with your grace. God, that we would be a people that is quick to point others to you, the hope that we have. God, that we wouldn't get lost in, in trying to, to fix people before they come to you, but our, our role is to get them to you as fast as we can, and you will take care of the rest. And so, Lord, would you give us opportunity for that? In the communities we find ourselves in, in the sports teams that we find ourselves in, the, the jobs that we are at, the coffee shops we frequent, the restaurants we go to, wherever we are, Father, would we be paying attention? And would you give us words and guidance how to speak into the collision and the wreckage that is so often around us in the lives of others? And in our love for you, would we be known for our love for others? We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as we leave from here, I just I want to read this one more time. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And our love, and our love for God that we have received from him, may that just spill over into those we encounter. May we begin to live this out. May we trust what the Spirit is leading us into and speaking to us as we reach those beyond our walls, but also within. May this be a place that is known for our love for one another because we have so received the love of Jesus as we make much of him. As we leave from here, may you go in his grace and may you know his peace. God bless you. We'll see you next week.